0: Hello and welcome to the Tiger Phonics Podcast. Uh, on today's episode, I'll be chatting with Queensland rapper Evil Eddie, frontman of the band Butterfingers, uh, on behalf of Eventilate. Once again, they hooked us up with an amazing interview. And uh, I don't want to keep you waiting, so let's get straight into it. Uh, well, welcome Evil Eddie uh, into the Tiger Phonics Podcast. How you going, mate?
1: Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
0: <laughs> yeah, really good. Uh, glad to have you here on the show, man. Um, first off, I just want to say congratulations on 15 years, uh, since breakfast at fat boys.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot. I mean, you know, the amount of time isn't really an achievement. It's just, I don't know. I just had to wait really.
0: Yeah, that's it. How does it feel to be, (laughs) how does it feel to be taking it back on the road and celebrating the milestone? Ah, it feels awesome. Yeah, it feels really
1: good. Um, it's, it's actually funny. I've been going through a lot of old, CDs and stuff, like video discs that we've had, DVDs and that, of footage from back around 2003, like before the album came out and around the same time as when the album came out. <clears throat> and um, I mean, it's it's cool, um, you know, seeing all of us baby-faced, you know, performing these songs and stuff. But I, I can't help but think that we're a much better band now than we were back then. I, I I obviously didn't have much of a, like a stage presence or anything when I watched those videos. Most of them, you know, I'm holding the mic with one hand and the other hand doesn't really even move past my waist and I'd hardly move and, you know, often face away from the crowd. I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, <laughs> I think we've come a long way.
0: Well, that's the best part about it, seeing seeing the growth and being able to to plot it and stuff like that. Let's wind the clock back a little bit further than that, like say sixteen years from now, before the album came out and you you guys were slugging away working at it, what uh, what sort of stuff was inspiring you at that point in time?
1: Um, well, I you know I was I was pretty much a bum at the time. Um, I mean I was working at a bar, but I think I was like still in the dole as well because there wasn't enough money. And I wasn't really interested in finding a, a full time job or anything like that. I just wanted to make music and, you know, hang out with my friends and stuff. So, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I don't really, I couldn't see any other future except for playing music, even though it didn't seem like a, an actual, like there was a path there to make money, but I, that's all I really wanted to do. Um, in terms of influence, I was listening to lots of different stuff. I was, I was like, it was a pretty broad spectrum. Like, some hip hop stuff, obviously, Beastie Boys were a big influence. Used to really love the Chili Peppers. Um, PJ Harvey, I used to listen to a lot. Raging It's a Machine. Lots of metal. I was right into Pantera before I knew that they were. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, lo- lots of different stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, we'll touch back on it a little bit later. But you, it it shows in your the band's style that you definitely have like an eclectic taste. Going back a little bit further Ooh. than that, when you were when you were young, did you have a dream job, or were you always sort of going to be a muso?
1: Uh I was always going to be a muso I I was kind of like pushed towards it quite a lot when I was younger. Like I I started learning guitar when I was 10 and I, I was actually pushed a little bit too hard, I think. I wound up like quitting playing music when I was around, you know, 14, 15, something like that. And it just happened to be the same time as all my friends at school started playing instruments and like wanting to form bands and stuff like that. So, I only end up quitting for about six months before I like picked it back up again, but I was really frustrated with with like you know strict kind of formal teaching like I used to learn classical and finger picking, and then I had a metal guy who was my guitar teacher, and he was all about like you know the ultimate picking methods and learning scales, and like learning scales and learning how to pick properly like is invaluable really but I I was annoyed by the routine of the you know I I just wanted to do creative stuff you know what I mean which like doesn't always work out if you don't have the technical skill behind you so you you gotta have both but you know when you're young you don't want to do the boring bit that's it. so I got frustrated
0: that's it the confines of the classroom can start for your creativity I guess
1: yeah I remember we actually in grade 12 my school is shut down now, so it doesn't really matter if I bag it out too hard. Um, but my school, we had a, a teacher, and she was like a music teacher. and She was quite old, and she was into you know, classical piano or whatever. And she, in, by the time I got to grade 12, she was so over it and so over us that she invented a new class, and it was called Practical Music. And practical music means here's a room with some acoustic guitars and some keyboards in it. Just do whatever you want and write your name on the roll if you if you turn up. Because she didn't turn up. She didn't go. She just like went, there's the instrument. Right. The, roll, the roll was on the desk with a pen. And if you were there, you write your name on it. And you write your friend's name on it even if he's not there. And you just jerk around and like, Play guitar a little bit, talk, play a bit of piano, and somehow I managed to fail. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how. There was no test or anything. I don't, I don't know how I failed. But um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. Didn't really have real strong like guidance, I guess.
0: Well, fair enough. But somehow you you formed Butterfingers and uh, over the course of the band's life, you released a couple of albums. It's It's been a little bit of time since we heard new music from you, I guess with the exception of Bullet to the Head, but um, can we expect another record from you guys soon?
1: Yeah, um, we've released two singles recently. Bullet to the Head was the most recent one, and just before that, like six months before that, was another one called uh, Big Night Out. Um, we've got clips of both of them but neither of them are going to be included on the new record which is coming out later this year um, the new record is actually a concept album uh, it's kind of like a little movie like every scene, every song is a scene kind of thing yeah. Um, but yeah unfortunately because I really like Bullet to the Head and Big No Out neither of them fit the, fit the concept so they're not they no, not to be included. The whole the new album is just all fresh material.
0: Yeah, nice. Well, that'll be something to look forward to anyway. Getting back to the uh, breakfast at Fat Boys, you had 300 limited edition vinyls, uh, and they all sold out, so that must feel pretty great.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I, yeah, I, like, it's cool. I mean, it would be nice to be on the road and be able to have the vinyl for sale at the shows, but... Um, but yeah, we limited we limited the pressing to three hundred. We thought that was a fair number. Um and yeah, I mean we we might press vinyl in the future again, but it wouldn't be the limited edition orange vinyl, it'd just be normal black vinyl or whatever. So yeah, the three hundred people who got the the orange ones, they got the only orange ones that are coming. So
0: that's pretty yeah. awesome. It's uh, a good piece of Butterfinger's history to hold on to for those guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and we've wanted to do vinyl since the start. Like, I remember when we got the album mixed um, and then we got it mastered. We got it mastered for CD and we got it mastered for vinyl in the plan that we were going to press vinyl as soon as possible. And then just, I don't know, other things took priority and we just never got around to doing it. So it's awesome that it's finally out like i i like just to have it to hold it and see the artwork all nice and big you
0: know <laughs> yeah absolutely that's awesome well I, I mentioned earlier you guys have a very interesting and unique sound um like the amalgamation of so many different genres uh where did your sort of your sound come from besides i guess the what you said before of all the stuff you you were listening to was there any direction you really wanted to head in or did it just sort of you let it take it take it still
1: well our our debut album Breakfast with Fat Boys is a funny amalgamation of like two different clear directions and it was at two different times that the songs were written and the uh, the first direction was you know we were before we were we were another band we were a punk band and um, we wrote all these punk songs and played around Brisbane for a while, but we never got around to recording, and then we broke up. And then when Butterfingers started, um, it was different lineup, but the lineup over the first year and a half or so we, like, was sort of changing around, members were changing in and out, and finally settled on the, the classic lineup, if that's what you want to call it, um, and it ended up being the same people from the band, the punk band. So, you know, we were already writing hip-hop stuff and then having all the same members again, we kind of were like, well, we've got this, you know, this back catalogue of other punk material that we've never, like, released, so why not incorporate it into what we're doing? Because we were fans of Beastie Boys and stuff and Check Your Head was, like, my favourite record of theirs and that, that record is when they started to include... Punk tracks with the with the rock stuff, uh, with the have hip hop stuff, because you know same backstory with them being originally a punk band and then you know morphing into a hip hop act. So yeah, we were just like, you know, Beastie Boys can do it. There's no reason why we can't do it as well. So we did.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and and it's sort of like it pays off too, because the first time you listen to the album, you're sort of a little bit bamboozled. You don't know what's gonna come next, and like one of my favorite parts of the album is the the first section of piss on you like it almost sounds like Pendulumy and like almost like the avalanches as well it's really it's like it's quite interesting and yeah so like, as i said it's one of my favorite parts of the album yeah
1: well that was you know i don't know i was just messing around with everything like and you know i i, I think i saw something about um drum and bass and the arm break and all that stuff and you know, because I, I was already working with loops, it wasn't that much of a of a leap to just change the tempo. You know, like go up to 180 BPM or whatever it is and start messing around. And like all that all that synth stuff, um, that really hard distorted kind of synth stuff on that track, it's just it's just um, like a really crappy like keyboard piano keyboard thing that just had piano sounds on it through like one of my like a boss ds1 distortion pedal for my guitar and like it's like it sounds like synth but like it's actually like it's like piano just a piano with a distortion on it but I, i didn't actually have any synthesizers or anything like that (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's pretty amazing that you were able to to do that with such like a limited instrument set.
1: Yeah, well, it's lucky, really. Like, like I was just fooling around. I didn't know it was going to sound that that good. I just kind of like, yeah, was fooling around. I was like, that sounds banging. That sounds like a real synthesizer. Like, and then and like you know, I've got lots of experiments like that that never made it to anything. Like, the whole back catalogue of instrumental stuff that's just too weird just too weird <laughs> uh, we use some of it for b-sides here and there but i don't think they're like the classic kind of b-sides that people are gonna like pull out of the archives and cover and make them like famous songs or anything they're all pretty pretty out there
0: i guess it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it though so exactly exactly well,
1: <laughs> so that's yeah, so you, you got to create the shit to get the, the good stuff
0: that's it uh, so yeah back in 2005 talking triple j hottest 100 fig jam came in at number 11 um the highest of a, a lot of entries for you guys um yeah and then even your solo stuff with queensland coming in yeah and one year um is that you know that sort of thing do you take a lot of direction from that as to you know what the fans want their popularity of those songs
1: uh definitely yeah i mean i after the first album came out and we had, we had those entries in the hottest one hundred and you know, I, I, I really felt like I had my eye in for what triple J and triple J's audience really wanted at that time. Um, so like, yeah, my, my writing was kind of more informed than it was previously. and probably more informed than it is now because like, you know that that thing that they're looking for has definitely changed, uh, as you would imagine. Yeah. But um, but yeah, there was a period where I was like, when Fig Jam came out, actually, when Fig Jam came out, I didn't think too much about that song. Like it wasn't, we didn't have the album ready. It was just a song that we released so that we could tour. Yeah. Um, and I actually thought of it as, as a bit of a throwaway track, but but I did. I did know that musically, like sonically, I I knew that it was kind of right up their alley at the time. Mm. But um, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. I I think it, it got to me a little bit as well. I felt a little bit like stifled by it because, you know, I mean, it's good to know what you, what's going to work, well, what you think is going to work, but um. But it's also limiting as well. Like you feel like you can't step outside of that box too much without damaging, you know, your potential, you know, sales or tour. You know, like it's a bit of a mind game. You have to ignore that stuff to really do good work, I think.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Well, uh, congratulations once again. 15 years, you're going on tour. And you'll be in Adelaide in particular on the Thursday, the twenty first of March. Is there anything else you would like to plug?
1: Um, not really, except come to the show. Um, I think I think Adelaide is like like the second fastest selling show on the tour. Brisbane sold out, and I think I think it's Adelaide after that, or Melbourne and then Adelaide, or no, maybe it's Adelaide. I think maybe Adelaide is the next biggest selling show which is great because, I don't know, traditionally we've had good audiences in Adelaide, but I don't know if they've always been as big as the other Capitals. So it's nice to be getting some love yeah, in we Adelaide. It's we great.
0: We've got a bit of a trait for not uh, selling sh- shows, so it's good that the people are coming out and supporting you guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. you've got a, a whole host of other dates um, you can, can be found on your Instagram which is Butterfingers Music for all of those people listening thanks for sitting down with us man the album's about to go gold too can't forget that so big congratulations there as well yeah cheers man um, yeah and thanks for sitting down with us and having a chat uh, on behalf of Ventilade and Tiger Phonics it's been great talking to you man <laughs>
1: cheers. thank you have, have a good fun. afternoon